The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful people. This is www.flashblackradio.com. I am DaVinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III. And this is Health and Wellness on Culture Shock. I have with me, once again, friend to the show, Dr. Charlie Brown. And uh, we we were having a conversation, actually, before we started recording and uh, decided to take the conversation live. So if you want to introduce it, Dr. Charlie, how are you, first of all? I am fantastic. Thank you, Lee. Always a pleasure to be here. Always great to be with you and converse with you and your listeners. It's always my honor, my deep honor to be here (laughs) on Flash Black Radio. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, So uh, you were saying that uh, well, we were having a conversation in terms of how people operate. And I was I was talking specifically uh, about trauma and at the point that trauma occurs, a lot of us stop growing wherever that trauma uh, takes root and starts to fester. Uh, So instead of growth and healing and understanding, a lot of times hurt and pain and ache and all the things that go with trauma take root there. And until we can learn how to address and unravel and 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 remove or whatever we have to do, like how you want to metastasize and you want to cut it out. You want to heal it. Balm. I don't know. However you want to deal with the trauma, right. <laughs> it, it will be there and you'll have to continue, contend with it, whether you know it or not. So. Uh, yes. I think we are all operating from the point at which we were shut down. Mm-hmm. And for many of us, for so many of us, that point was before we were five, if not five, usually before we were 10. So if you think about a 10-year-old just running around in an adult body, that's that's what we have. So we it shows up in the way we do emote when we're maybe pushed past a certain point. Mm-hmm. For me, when I get angry, I throw a temper tantrum like a four-year-old because that's about when I was shut down. And shut down, shut down is particularly subjective. I, as a four-year-old, felt shut down, not necessarily the adults or people around me were intentionally shutting me down. Mm -hmm. Of course, that runs the gamut. Um, Sometimes there are people who who have no idea to such an extent how to raise children, how to emote to others, how to be around others without being, you know, a way that is harmful, that it is on purpose, of course. So it does run the gamut. And operating, the rest of us operating as at the point from which we were shut down, it shows up in those high emotion moments. Mm-hmm. It shows up like my temper tantrums when I get mad. I want to I want to yell. I want to scream. I want to slam doors and I want to stomp away. Mm-hmm. And adult me would like to come back and talk about it at some later point. That doesn't always happen, especially if I've stormed away and been shouting and slammed some doors. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there, sometimes 
when I slammed the door, the other person locked it and was like, all right, fine. You, you want to do this thing that I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing in response. Mm-hmm. So it's about, first of all, recognizing that how old is usually we see it better in other people. We were talking before about the world being a mirror to us and particularly our relationship to the things we want to learn or we want to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so noticing it in another person is sometimes easier. Hmm. This person is acting like they're 13. Mm-hmm. I wonder what happened at 13. So it's also holding a spirit of curiosity mm-hmm. um, about why this other person might be acting this way. And sometimes we have to depersonalize that because in the moment, oh, it's so personal and this person is pushing my buttons. I'm probably also pushing their buttons if we're being honest with that. Mm -hmm. But a really helpful exercise for me was to write a backstory. I have no idea if the backstory that I created was true for the other person who was causing me so much consternation. Ha ha ha, jinx on you. Um, but writing the backstory was really, really helpful in a possible reason why this person was acting in this specific way. Mm-hmm. And that backstory, me writing that backstory was really healing for me because prior to that point in my life, I had never once considered their perspective. I was this particular thing in backstory in person. I was 27 before I had ever considered why this other person was acting the way that they were acting and, and depersonalizing it by saying, what are the sort of things that would happen to a person to make them act like this? And not necessarily the the person causing you trauma in front of you. Yeah. You know what's wild about that? So, as as you know, um, I've been working, I've been trying to work through this novel of mine for about a smooth decade now. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's been a frustrating process because when I start a project or like something I want to do, it's it's one of those things where I just do it. And a lot of times I don't know how to necessarily start or f- begin or like end it. I just like, this is what I want to do. And I figure it out along the way. And I've had a a reasonable amount of success doing that. I think I learned how to improvise very well uh, in my, in my collegiate years. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but what I find interesting is very recently in, in writing, I realized a few things about character development and how how I wanted to approach characters for myself. And one of the things I feel is important at this stage now of my writing is no matter who the character is, that character must have a name. And the reason why that character must have a name is because if that character has a name, it means that somebody in their life cared enough for them to give them a name, one. Mm. And then two, when you when you name a child, that a name has meaning and has reason. There's a hope attached to that name and that meaning. You, the the, the world is full of possibility when you name a child because that child has not lived any life yet. So that child could be anything at that point, right? So, in naming my characters, one and then two, giving them some sort of backstory and having an understanding of who those characters were. 
And there were characters that I was literally creating for the sole purpose of killing because it was going to move. It was a plot mechanism. It was going to move the plot forward. And once I gave the characters backstory, it changed my complete perspective on the characters. And now that's not going to happen. Kill somebody whose name you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like for some people, no. Like some people, it's like I, I can't wait to kill you because <laughs> like they're like that's the way I've written them, right? But at the end of the day, it's like these characters right here, I saw a different purpose and a different path for them just by giving them a small amount of backstory, and that that to me was like extremely in, in, informing. So it was interesting that you're you're saying basically something that I was realizing within my writing and whatever, and I, I think. All in all, about the whole novel thing, I think it's it'll be ready when it's supposed to be ready. Like I just like you know, there's so many things that I've I've realized in the process of writing this book that you know I I I'm trying to just be patient with myself and and you know just go with it. But anyway, I, I tangent over. <laughs> well, I think that that's reflective of you. Mm-hmm. The novel will be ready when you're ready mm-hmm. for the novel. Mm-hmm. My dissertation was like that. It's a it's a process of gestation mm-hmm. like i was literally pregnant with my dissertation no i wasn't literally pregnant with it if we're talking figuratively about, yeah. yes well now because they changed the word literally to me figuratively as well in the dictionary but yeah i get what you're saying you right. know how to use words continue yes. <laughs> so, and like any baby it will only come when it's ready mm-hmm. a year two years before it was finished i was so i thought i was ready and mm-hmm. i really wasn't my purpose in the work in transpersonal that didn't become clear until it started to come clear about a year and a half before I completed my dissertation and it got clearer as I went along. And so by the time I graduated and completed my dissertation, I understood my piece of the work when prior to that, I had no understanding of that. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was going to do with this thing. Also with literary devices, as, as your tangent, I can build from that. You have round characters and you have flat characters. And flat characters tend to represent an idea where the round characters, right, we talk about their backstory. Mm-hmm. Wicked, uh, that did that for me because Wicked tells the story from the perspective of the Wicked Witch of the West, who was a real person. I can't watch The Wizard of Oz the same way anymore. Mm. <laughs> Because of who this person was and how this person came to be. Was that written by Frank L. Baum as well? Or was that somebody else took took that on and write that? Oh, I can't. I don't know off the top of my head. I think somebody else took it off. Took it okay. on. Because I think it was written in like the 80s. Or I 90s. believe that was Baum who wrote it. I'm almost um, certain Baum. I, I believe you're right. The Wizard of Oz, Oz, yeah. But completely different idea. And... Wicked was used as kind of a playful tone. It was just, it was really interesting. Oh, it sounds dope. It, it's kind of, I, I guess it's kind of like, because I think they did a movie adaptation of Wicked 1, but I know they definitely did Maleficent, who was like the, the story of uh, Sleeping Beauty from yes. the perspective of, and yeah. So most things, This is true in kind of human history as well. Mm -hmm. In human history, one of my professors, Dr. Judy Grahn, she talked about things that we think are terrible now, like in hindsight, whatever, whatever hindsight is, 
they served a purpose that generally was supposedly a helping purpose at the time. One of the tenets she uses in Islam for wives in a monogamous culture or a culture that purports to be monogamous for wives sounds terrible, but that was down from like a hundred. And that was at the time a mandate created for the welfare of the women who were the wives. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, here's how many wives a man can take care of in in any given context. Mm -hmm. Four was the number that was decided upon down from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. That still sounds like a lot of work. So, (laughs) yeah. So, but everything has context. Mm -hmm. People have context too. And understanding their backstory, I don't know. The person I wrote the kind of detailed backstory for, I have no idea if that is true. Mm -hmm. No idea if it was right. It was right for me at the time. It was right for my level of understanding at the time that I wrote it. So did it change the nature of your relationship and how you related to that person? And did your relationship improve as a result? It changed me. Mm -hmm. And so when you change... Other things have to change. We were talking about frequency and vibrating at a certain frequency. It's no longer comfortable. The relationship with the person, it made me value my time and set boundaries better. Mm -hmm. And so that means that I spent less time with that person by choice. Mm -hmm. I spent less time being a victim also. So also understanding that I played a part. I played a part in enabling their behavior. They would do something, and I use air quotes there, they would do something to me, and I would respond exactly the same way I had always responded. Mm -hmm. And so me deciding to respond differently, me deciding to hold my space and not waver from my space was a really powerful (sighs) happening idea. It was a powerful idea, but it was even more powerful when I actually did it. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of noise around it, but you know what? The person did what I asked them to do because I had set a boundary. What I found with that person was that when I set a boundary, they respected to they respected it and re- responded to it, kind of almost pushed it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bounced off of it, and I was like, "Oh wait, I think I think that worked in the way that I needed it to work, even with it was ignoring all the the extra stuff, all the superfluous stuff mm-hmm. that went along with it, and noticing that my boundary was respected when I set one." And the problem before was that I wasn't setting a boundary and I had been participating in our relationship in a way that didn't set a boundary and where I always constantly felt like the victim writing their backstory made me understand that they were simply coming from the place that they were coming from just as I was. Mm-hmm. And so there's always a, there's always a dynamic about, about, about that trauma, about that point at which we were shut down and and how we we act out from that. Mm-hmm. So if I was shut down at four, my tools for that particular kind of upset are still four years old. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, that doesn't seem to float in an adult world. But we're all kind of we're all acting like six, seven, eight year olds. Um, if you think, that's also part of not knowing how to emote, not having really good tools to express emotions in a way that is not harmful. Mm. I mean, I think I think you 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 put some some very interesting things out there. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to grab onto, or just want to just let them stand on their own. But um, 
I, I, I think again, um, going back to what I was, I was saying, and, and again, also, I'm, I'm rambling. I, I, I like to think that if we're able to at least understand that there is hurt there, and you were saying that um, in a previous conversation, in terms of uh, you know, allow yourself to feel what you feel. If we're able to recognize and understand that there is a hurt or a trauma there then it's it's incumbent upon us to want to excavate it and to take re- accountability and responsibility for whatever that is you know I would disagree most people don't feel that way I I would say I that's it that's how I feel I'm not oh, saying personal. yeah Got yeah <laughs> I, I didn't say that's how I don't people feel with your personal declaration no <laughs> that's how I feel I, I feel like you know if you know that there's a, a hurt there then like it, it's it it would serve well because I said you and not me if I know that there's a hurt there, I feel like it serves me well to figure out what that hurt is so that I can work through it. One of the ways that I've worked through it, ironically, going back to writing, is a lot of my healing or at least uh, balancing myself in a way where like whatever hurt was there could flow through or past me without it hindering me was writing. So that for me was for a, a very large number of years was poetry. Um, I processed a lot of things that I didn't know I was dealing with until I wrote it down on paper. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know this was a thing or I didn't know how I felt about this until I put, I put it on paper. So um, I just I don't know. I I feel like uh, one, we do need to try to figure out how to have better tools and figure out how it is to process. I believe you were saying in a previous conversation for you, when you were four, it was coloring when you were sad and we all need to figure out how to, to color when we're, we're dealing with certain things that would keep us from ultimately growing to a place of, of wholeness or, or, or happiness or, healing or whatever has an H sound that sounds good. I don't know. I think that <laughs> I think that not everybody feels that way. Oh, I'm pretty sure having, that's the case. I, I pretty much don't line up with a lot of people. And healing and all that, that's, that's a whole lot of responsibility. There's a whole lot of personal responsibility. And most people don't want that actually has been my experience. Mm-hmm. Most people, there is benefit to being the victim. There is benefit to having done life the way that you've done it up to this point. And so taking your part of the responsibility for your part of the dynamic mm-hmm. means that that the dynamic is going to change. And you know what? It might be beneficial for me. And it might be it might be very consciously beneficial. It might be a material gain or something like that mm-hmm. or like a, getting attention and attention is, is kind of what you wanted or it might be a less conscious benefit. It might be that because I don't know how to take care of myself, always being sick has someone taking care of me. Mm. Um, so the benefits of being who we've always been can be really high for a lot of people. And the idea to change that, in my experience, it's, it's, it's an all or nothing. So people... They go from 
Like in order for in their minds to take responsibility for this thing means if I'm wrong now, then I've always been wrong. Yeah, and, and how much other stuff have I been wrong about? Yeah, we've that's had that world altering for people. Yeah. Then I have to take responsibility for all of these other things that I may have been wrong about before, and that's too much for most people. Yeah, that's I, that's too I, shifting. That's too that completely changes your world view you when you do that. I don't disagree with that assessment. Um, I'm just saying for me, I have constantly done a lot of introspective work and a lot of just excavating. You know, I've, I've done a lot of just thought in terms of, you know, trying to find ways to be better, even if it's, 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 it's small, minute details that nobody else would notice. Uh, I just want to be better if I can be, and you know, I, I try not to lift more than I can I can carry because I have a perfectionist element to myself or aspect to myself. Uh, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because like to be a perfectionist is like really just like you are whether you want to acknowledge it or not. You have some masochism. Uh, baked in there to be a perfectionist because it's an impossible thing to to carry as as I see it and I'm a perfectionist so very deal with Virgo that conundrum trait. huh the very Virgo trait y- yeah it is and um so with 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 all of that being said I'm 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 merely speaking from my personal experience like if I talk to people I try to keep people around me that are truth speakers and. Even if I don't necessarily agree or feel that what people are saying are in line, I believe that that there's a validity from the aspect of, again, we see things as our experience has dictated to a certain degree. Our reality is based upon our experience and how we've, we've coped and reacted to things. Right. So and that informs the way you're going to behave and, and carry yourself forward in many situations. So. I try to be around people that I know are going to be honest with me about what they see or how they feel or whatever. So sometimes I get truth at the most inconvenient times from the people that I know and love. And it's ironic because a lot of those same people do not want to hear truth from me, but it's okay. At the end of the day, the benefit that I get is I get something to say like, okay, how much of this can I apply? And how much of this can I just throw out? But it's one of those things that, like, because I, there might have been something I was already thinking about myself anyway. Like, I need to figure out, and they might have just articulated in a way that, hmm, I didn't have the vocabulary to perhaps articulate in that way, or my vocabulary wouldn't have allowed me to articulate in that way. They're, they're different people than I I am. So um, I just, I personally take that challenge on because I think it's a way for me to to be better. And that's something... I guess tied to that perfectionist thing, like while I I will never be perfect, I can always improve. A lot of people don't feel that way. They, again, I, they're just I, like I, I'm, I agree. I'm good. Where I can I tell am and how I am. I can tell. And it also <laughs> shows up in in other aspects, in mm-hmm. aspects that are not so directly tied to interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. It yeah. might be. It might have a more material connotation for other people yeah i want the thing i'm getting better at is whatever for me the reason coloring is a trigger point is because i've never been able to color inside the lines 
And so being able to color with it without judgment of myself is a big deal mm-hmm. because that's tied to identity things that happened when I was four. That's tied to, we had report cards when I was in kindergarten and it was this big green sheet. And I think coloring inside the lines was one of the few things I didn't get a check mark on. Mm-hmm. And my identity is also based off of being the youngest and feeling like in my family, adult words later and a psychology degree later, we have a lot of unspoken rules in my family, as most families do. One of those unspoken rules was that no, that only one sibling could do or be known for one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that little me, when I came into this world, number four, it, I looked around and subconsciously said, well, what's left? Mm-hmm. Um, this sibling has this, this, this sibling has that, this sibling has that. What do I have? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was academics. Mm-hmm. Um, it was as the youngest, if I'm never going to be the first to do something, when I do it, I'm going to do it big. Mm-hmm. So I had I had a full scholarship to college. I was the first to travel outside of the country kind of on my own. Um, All this moving. My family, they're mostly pretty stationary. (laughs) I have a sister. She moves a lot, but kind of within locally. Mm. When I move, I move across the country and then back across the country and then back across the country. I've zigzagged the country several times. I've taken more than 10 solo road trips in my adult life, like since I was 25. Mm So. So all of those things, my unconscious benefit is that those help create my interesting identity. Mm-hmm. I like being interesting. And when I you like say like you said solo road trips, I want to I want to be clear for those who do not know you. I don't, I'm not gonna get specific. This, this is not like a road trip can be like oh, I'm gonna go down to like you know like the beach and it's like an hour and a half away. No, we're we're talking about like cross country <laughs> road trips with with a with a car full of like you all you own because you're moving this that kind of road trip like her road yes. trip is like i'm moving from like the east coast to the west coast that yes. kind of road trip like, like, okay. i don't want people like well i've taken road trips before that don't sound like okay all right we're talking about like <laughs> life-altering road trips where you're not coming back it's not a round trip road trip this is like you're going from one place to the other and it's a very long Okay, I got it. All right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you said like you take ten road trips. I was like, I've taken ten road trips more than that. I was just saying, but then yes. they ain't been like yours. <laughs> so one, I just wanted to one clarify. One way that. road trips is good. One way cross country road trips is a good description yeah, of what yeah. those have been. With my car full of stuff, I learned yeah. how to use my side mirrors. Yeah. In my car. Yeah. Because I've frequently been not frequently but when i'm moving i don't have my rearview mirror so i know how to use my side mirror. that just means you know how to drive that's all that is yeah. what that means you know how to drive that's all i do i'm yeah, a pretty yeah. i'm a pretty solid driver yeah, yeah. Okay. um but th- so these unconscious benefits right about my point of wounding but also what i've done in in return for that that wounding that has helped shape my identity in my life. And because it becomes a question of identity, most people are not willing to give up what they find to be the basic elements of their identity. Mm-hmm. And so and so they continue in the thing that may be uncomfortable, but it is the known thing that is uncomfortable rather than this wide world of unknown. Right. So we started this conversation 
operating from the point of, of being shut down, operating from a, a point of hurt. And to be clear, we're not saying that there can only be one point. Um, right. Our conversation prior to this, this podcast starting was that it could be a number of, of sources of pain and trauma and hurt that you accumulate over time. A lot of it is going to be in your formative years as you're learning life, because that's when it's going to be most damaging. You don't understand things and you encounter it for the first time. And what you've encountered is like massively detrimental and harmful and hurtful and negative, especially for like a mind that has not received it. Um, those weren't the words to use, but essentially that's what we were talking about. Um, and that being the case, the question I, I want to lay before you before we wrap up is, is, is there a way that we can start looking to address those points of hurt or a point of hurt for those who might only have one? <laughs> I think one really good place to start is looking at your own repeating patterns, whether that's a cyclical money pattern or a cyclical relationship pattern or housing, whatever it is, look at that. Mm -hmm. And we identify what has been the pattern in that thing. And then I am a strong proponent of writing because as you said, sometimes things get uncovered in writing that we didn't even know we were dealing with or processing. Mm -hmm. And this works even better for people who aren't writers, I would say, but it works for writers as well. Can you write down everything that goes along with this pattern, everything that comes up as you're writing, whether that's how you felt, who else was involved, what the situation was, just anything that is a part or not. If you start with a clean sheet of paper and you just write that thing at the top and just start writing often, that will uncover some of the deeper things that are or were happening uh, or are or have been accumulating since that point that help to begin to diffuse the situation, but give it a new energy, but also give you a different perspective to look at it from, hmm. from which to look at it as your mother would, <laughs> <laughs> would enhance that sentence with. Okay. Um, but really getting a full grasp of, your perception, because you can only ever come from your perspective, getting a full grasp of what your perception of the situation is or was or has been, including all the feelings. Often, often when we were shut down, we had a lot of feelings, but we had no idea how to emote them, that we could emote them if it was you know what they were. Yeah. Right. Because that's a very knowledge of feelings is a fairly sophisticated upper level um, idea or ideation. Mm hmm. Children just they're in the moment. Small children, they're just in the moment. It mm -hmm. just is what it is. And if we watch if we watch a toddler, toddler might be mad in this moment, but three seconds later they're happy and giggling. So they also know how to emote better because it just comes naturally. Mm -hmm. Whereas as adults, we have all these rules as to what we can and can't emote, which have a whole lot of scripts behind them. Um, there's gender scripts, there's racial scripts, there's societal scripts. There's a whole lot of scripts behind what we can and cannot emote. So really Getting a full perspective and, and finding the pattern, getting a full perspective on the pattern right at that point of acknowledgement begins to change it, begins to change what the pattern is. You can't change something you're not aware of. Right. You can't consciously change something you're not aware of. There are other levels and dimensions. Well, I don't want to say can't because can't. Energy work. I don't want to say can't. It's, it's unlikely. 
Yeah. So sometimes you can do mind. something unconsciously and it can have like a world changing effect. And you might, you just won't be conscious that you change something. So I, I believe, yeah, yeah but I, I get what you're saying. Like it's, it's unlikely that you'll, you'll change. Yeah. I'll agree with unlikely. Um, yeah. So I, I guess one of the things I, um, I, I can wrap up on this unless you had, of course, something you want to add. You are the professional. Um, something that I've found helpful, I haven't had to employ it just yet. I think I'm thankful in the sense that I do have a decent vocabulary. Um, I do have a, a very vivid imagination. I do do a lot of introspection. Um, but something that I had heard and I think it's valuable and I've shared with other people, um, there was a friend who was saying at one point he had this this impending sense of doom, but he couldn't explain it. And as uh, somebody that I hold in very high regard and esteem, a very brilliant individual, and I... You know, I know he's one of those thinkers, too, who thinks a lot. So at the, at the time, you know, I can say, of course, like, you know, seek counseling and stuff like that. Talk to somebody, find somebody that you talk to, that you trust, et cetera, et cetera. But something that I heard that I thought would have been of value as well and something that maybe our listeners can take with us is there are some times where we come to points where we feel something, but we don't know what we're feeling. We don't know how to, as you said, emote it. Or we don't necessarily know how to even handle it because we it's, it's it's just like I have this feeling but I don't know what it is. So one of the mechanisms that I heard that I think would be helpful uh potentially is if you don't know what it is you can't give it a name assign it a color. And what does that color mean to you and why? Is it heavy? Is it light? Uh, it, it like what is the volume of it? Like, like is is like something that you can't wrap your arms around? Is it something that you can hold in your hand? Uh, is that thing that you can hold in your hand? If you can hold it in your hand, does it weigh like three ounces, or does it weigh three pounds, or does it weigh three hundred pounds? Like, what? Give it, give it like all the descriptors that you know that you can give it, even if you can't say what it is. Like, okay, like this is. This is a red object. Why is it red? Why are you assigning red to it? Like, what does red mean to you? Like Van Gogh, um, the color yellow for Van Gogh was love. That was what it meant to him. So when people look at the painting Sunflowers, and it's a beautiful painting, those sunflowers were dying. And that's how he viewed love. So perspective, like he, you know, maybe he wasn't consciously painting in that way. He probably was. But it's possible that he wasn't. So just something to throw out there. Did you want to add anything to that? I think that placeholder tools are very effective mm -hmm. um, when we don't have the words. Also, it's important to remember a lot of our shutting down happened in our formative years, as you said. And so use the language of a four-year-old. Use the language that whatever language comes at that time is, is the language, is the right language to use. Mm. We don't have to be sophisticated in identifying again as you said sometimes we can't identify so yes giving it a placeholder is a very useful way to work through it yellow in the chakra system is your personal power mm -hmm. so van gogh's wilting sunflowers is was also very likely probably how he viewed his personal power mm. I, I would guess no we're not going to know that for sure well he as, as somebody who also committed suicide i think there's some credence to that you know like Right. Yeah. 
so uh, that goes back to things being interconnected in ways. Well, completed we, suicide. Uh, I think that's yes. the, the proper terminology. Yes. Uh, so it. Um, so all of these things are connected. Use the language that you don't have. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. It doesn't have to be. If you do the writing exercise, see if you can take yourself back to whatever age you think you are. Mm-hmm. If you do a placeholder exercise, that's very useful. Also, um, EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is tapping on particular places on your body. There's a lot on the Internet. There's a lot on like YouTube for that. So you can find someone who speaks to you, find someone whose style you like. But we don't necessarily have to name things in order to get through them. Mm-hmm. And there are a bevy of options to not have to name something. Maybe it's just that general sense of doom. And then tapping would work that it rewires your neurons uh, Mm. to experience that differently from a different perspective and to not necessarily give so much weight to the thing. It's also important to note as a final thing, a lot of the stuff that we're carrying doesn't even belong to us. A lot of it comes from all sorts of places uh, it might come from the environment your mother was in when she was pregnant with you. It might come from the environment your grandmother was in when she was pregnant with your mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might just come from the what happened in the world. It might come from a general sense of of doom or gloom in the, the world at large. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot that we pick up, trillions of things that we pick up that we have no cognizant awareness of mm-hmm. and so all of these are playing a part all of these are a factor in who we are how we represent ourselves in the moment in any given moment and so yes naming has its place but not naming can be just as effective as well got it as always it's a uh, it's great talking to you talking with you uh Listening to you speak and how you how you uh, take something that sometimes seems very complex, I think, and make it very simple and plain. I appreciate that. So uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time out to speak with us. I know your time is precious. I know you have many people to see, many great things to do. So I thank you so much for sitting down with us once again, and and just and just helping us hopefully get through some things and to think about some things and get some perspective so ladies and gentlemen once again this is dr charlie brown dr charlie could you please tell the listening audience where they can find you if they so desire please always my distinct honor and pleasure to (laughs) sit and chat with you on these various topics that are always interesting and always appreciate you bringing your perspective as well and then we can kind of build off of that Mm -hmm. You can find me, I have a website. You can find me at drcharliebrown.com and on Facebook slash drcharliebrown as well. Charlie with an I, no E. Brown right. like the color. Yes, Charlie with just an I, brown like <laughs> That's the, the first time you didn't say it. I was like, okay, she didn't say it, so I'll say it. Uh, we thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate your support, your listenership energy please continue to interact uh dr charlie is also you can find her you can interact with her she she posts on a regular basis or interacts on a regular basis on flash black radio as well in the group so you can always uh join us there interact with us with us or her there 
Um, please continue to follow us to share us. Flashblackradio.com. This is Health and Wellness on Culture Shock. I am Lee Bennett III, a.k.a. Da Vinci Parks. And I thank you so much for your listenership. Until next time, stay blessed, stay woke. Peace.